Good morning. Hope you guys are doing well. All right. Where are we opening up in our Bibles to? You got it. Well done. Well done. John 17. We're going to finish up this great and wonderful chapter. Really is such a joy to be together this morning. It's been such a joy and privilege to, to get to interact with you and worship with you, open up God's word together with you. Uh, you guys are a great, awesome, wonderful group of students. I'm very grateful for each one of you. I think there's two physical, tangible, well, God's given us so many physical and tangible gifts. God's given us so much. But I think two of the greatest, most important, most beautiful, incredible things that God has given us, physical things. Obviously, he's given us, if you, if you are in Christ, if you gave your life to Christ, he's, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, Scripture says, which is a mind-blowing thing. But two physical things that he has given us, um, the two of the greatest gifts that you have, you have the Word of God that you hold in your hands, and you have the body of Christ around you. You have the church now, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about there is, the, there is the big C church that we call, and this is the universal church. This is every believer, every brother and sister in Christ who has named the name of Jesus past, present, and future in all the world who speaks, every, in, in, who speaks different languages, people you have never met is a part, you are a part of, you are united with them through Christ and you are part of what we would call the, the big C church, the universal church. But there is an, another gift that God has given us that we're gonna, that we're, is gonna be more the focus of this morning's message. And this is what I, I, we would call the, the small C church, or I would say the local church. Now church is, um, is, is actually, um, is, is a word that, that just means the gathering, um, the, the actual gathering of believers. And so if you think like, oh, I, I go to church, you know, from home and, you know, I, I go to church and I just, I may just watch only on a screen. That's still, that's like my church. Or I go, I hear people say like, I have church out in the woods or, or something like that. I would say, actually, that's not true because you're not gathering together with believers as what the actual word church means. And so uh, this morning uh, in, in John 17, what we're going to read and realize is the last thing that Jesus prays for specifically is for his, his people, the church, and as a, not just his 12 disciples, as we'll read, but going forward, every believer in that Jesus has a, a special and important and a specific prayer for, for all of us. So John 20, or John 17, verse 20, excuse me. Listen to this. This is, this is amazing. Jesus closes his prayer with this. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, in other words, those, those 12 who are there, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I am convinced, through, and I think that Jesus in his deity, Jesus as, as God in his, um, in, in his um, ability as, as God in the flesh who could see all things and is omniscient, all-knowing, literally, if you are a follower of Christ, your name and your face flashed in his mind when he uttered those words. 
I mean, you could write your name here. I am not only praying for these disciples, but also for Emily, also for Josh, also for Chris, also for Stephen, for all who will ever believe in me through, the, through their message. And I love that. In me through, is he's not necessarily saying my message, although it is, it is his message that he passed on to them, but he's getting to something here that he's going to ultimately give to his disciples to pass on through their message. In other words, what he is seeing is that what, what we've got to realize is we are a part of a chain, a, like a domino effect, a chain reaction that goes back to this moment. These 12 people that Jesus gave a message to in Matthew 20, 20, 28, yeah, 28, in the, the Great Commission, what Jesus says is, take this message and make disciples of all nations. So you heard about Jesus from somebody who heard about Jesus from somebody who heard about Jesus from somebody. And if we trace that back, we would trace it back to these 12 believers, these 12 followers of Christ. So let's keep going. Who will ever believe in me through their message? Verse 21, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may, be, and, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Think about that, that you love them as much as you love me. Do you think that the Father, that God the Father loves, this is, and this is what we call the Trinity, that within the one being, uh, within, within, within the one um, God, there's three distinct separate persons, and that's a whole nother topic, but do you think that the father loves the son? I mean, any question about that? Any like, oh, he kind of likes him, but love, like, oh, that's a little strong. What did Jesus just say here? Um, May they experience such perfect that the world will know that you sent them, that you love them as much as you love me. You think God loves you? You who are in Christ, any doubt? Sometimes when you look in the mirror, you might question like, yeah, I messed up pretty big. I think God's a little disappointed and God kind of like stopped liking me a little while ago. Don't doubt that. Verse 24, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. Like every other message, I just, I feel like seeing there's so much more here. And I hope that this, that these messages spur you on to dig deeper into God's word, not out of obligation, not out of like, well, this is what good Christians do, but out of this idea that this, this book is this endless treasure trove that I will only like, only greater great and greater truths and treasures and incredible things will come. The, the deeper I dig, the more amazing things I find. But out of this amazing love for this book that you will only want to dig in more and more. And so 
Again, I hope that this only encourages you to dive into God's word more because we can't cover all of it here. But one thing I want to to emphasize through this last section of John 17 is that a follower of Jesus joins the community of Jesus. I encourage you to write this down in your notes. A follower of Jesus joins the community of Jesus' followers. What we would say, you could put in parentheses, the local church. A follower of Jesus joins a local community of Jesus' followers. In other words, the local church. For the purpose of making Jesus known. For the purpose of making Jesus known. Again, the local church is one of God's greatest physical, tangible gifts to us. We, I don't know if you ever see church as a burden. I remember when I was your age, at many, many times I did. And I remember though in, when I was like in junior high, especially, I remember thinking, yes, missing church this morning. Nice. But I hope you don't, I hope that's not your attitude. I hope you see church as one of the highlights of your week, as one of the greatest gifts God gives you to physically gather together with other brothers and sisters in Christ, other followers of Jesus. Some things I want to point out from this passage and keep, keep your Bibles open. But if you look at verses 20 and 21, we are called... He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all um, who will ever believe in me. I pray that they will be all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me and I am in you. May they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Like we are called to live in this united community. This is a, a calling, a command, a desire, a goal, a longing, a prayer of Jesus is that we are a part of this united community. And when we say yes to Jesus, we have to realize that this isn't an optional thing. This isn't like, okay, I like Jesus, but I don't so much want the whole church thing. Like, yes to Jesus, but no to church. Again, that goes back to the idea of like, I want Jesus to be my savior, but I don't want him to be my Lord and my king. Because one of his commands, one of his callings is that we, as we were reading right here, like he wants us to be united together. And I've heard people say, I, I, love, I love God, but I don't love the church. The church is full of hypocrites. The church is, is like an optional thing. The church is for some people, but it's not so much for me. You've probably heard all of these things too. You know, I did, um, I did a wedding. Uh, I, I've done a, a few weddings uh, over the last couple of months. Um, but one wedding I did uh, probably in, it was early January. Um, it was this young couple. They are just incredible. Um, they, were, they were both students in the youth group that I, that I pastor and have known them. They actually started dating in high school. And, and just this, I mean, they, they were very intentional in the way they dated. They really wanted to honor the Lord and their relationship. They, you know, did, did everything right and dated all through high school and all through college. And um, really it's, it's this amazing couple. And it's such a joy and a privilege to get to, um, like, do their wedding. And one of the things I remember when we were going through the, um, like, the, mer- the, the wedding rehearsal, you see saying, I don't want to... I don't want to see my bride until she, she's walking down the aisle. And we kind of arranged it to where, um, kind of where she, they were getting married. The, the bride and her father had to kind of walk down this pathway, and then she would walk to the front of the, the aisle. And it was about probably from here to the back of the room. Um, and, you know, when the bride comes out, when the bride's in view, everybody stands up and looks, right? Well, he wanted to turn his back. So he turns his back because he didn't want to see her until she, he got, like, right within eyesight of her. And so he's, he's got his back to her like this. 
um, you know, as she, when, she, when she turns. And he said, Stephen, when, when she gets to the end of the aisle, I want you to tap me on the shoulder. And then that's when I'll turn around and I'll see her. And so, so that's, that's what we did. And, you know, I mean, she was, she was beautiful. And, she, and, and so that, that's what happens. She walks down, he turns, and you could just, and I had like the best view in the house because I could see out of the corner of his face. He's just like, I mean, he's just so excited to see his bride right? And so he's, he's turns like this, and sure enough, you know, Bailey gets to the, the end of the aisle, and so I tap him on the shoulder, and he turns around. And I wish, I know somewhere there's, there's pictures of his face, because just instantly, like, tears are pouring down. He's like, <sighs> like this. I mean, he cannot help the joy that he had. And she's the same way. She's like, I mean, she's like, you know, she's like bouncing down the aisle. She's just so excited. It's like, just calm down. And she gets to the end and he's just like beside himself. And he just is overwhelming. I mean, he did not stop like throughout the whole ceremony. I don't think they heard a word I said, right? They're just like, like staring at each other. And as I'm saying the final vows and I'm about to say, I now pronounce you husband and wife. They're like, they're, they're so excited to be married. And, you know, then a pronounced husband and wife and they're like, woo! I mean, they're cheering. I mean, it was none, nothing that they did was scripted, right? It was just this overwhelming emotional joy to be husband and wife. Now think about this. Say at the, at the wedding rehearsal, and this, this couple is in love. And so this is the, like, the highlight of their relationship. This is one of the greatest moments of their life. Imagine someone walks up to, their, their, to, to, the, to Jacob, um, the, the groom in, at the reception, and he says, oh, congratulations. I just, I just love you so much. I got, and he like pulls him aside, and he's like, I got to tell you something, though. Like, man, your wife, she's terrible. Like, I just don't like her. Like, I love you. And I hope when I'm in town, like, we can get together. But don't invite me over. Or if you invite me over, make sure she's not there. Because I, I, want, I want to keep this relationship with you, bud. But I really, like, keep her at a distance. She kind of bugs me. Let me tell you some of the things that she does wrong and the things I don't like about her. Do you think that, that, that the husband would be like, okay, cool. No. no. Like, he's going to get punched, Right? because of his overwhelming love for his bride. And do you think he knows that she's got flaws? Do you think he knows she's got imperfections? Absolutely, like he, of course she does. Does that mean he does not just overwhelmingly love her and that she's the greatest thing to him? Absolutely. Do you know that in the scriptures, the church is called the bride of Christ? So don't think, Oh, Jesus, I love you. I want to keep this relationship going with you, but I don't want anything to do with your church. They bug me. L listen, Jesus, don't you know, like there's messed up people in that church. They don't get everything right. They don't, they don't do everything right. Like help me find a perfect church and I'll join that church. Listen, if you find a perfect church, don't join it because you're going to mess it up. There is no perfect church. It is full of flawed people. And Jesus knew that when he came to earth. He, that's why he came to earth, to redeem his church, to, to, make it, to bring his bride back to himself. So when we say yes to Jesus, we have to realize that we are entering into, again, not only this vertical relationship with God, but we are also agreeing to a horizontal relationship with God's people. God calls us to gather together. Also, look at verse 21, the second part. And may they be in us, why? So that the world will believe you sent me. 
Do you realize that just by you joining your church, just by you going to church on Wednesday night and Sunday morning or Sunday evening and being a part of a small group, you are declaring to the world that Jesus rules and reigns, that Jesus is God of the universe and Jesus is the way that they can be reconciled back in that right relationship with him. It is like you being a part of your church declares that, declares that, that God sent Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> So again, it's so that the lost will know that um, will know Jesus as they watch the community. This community called the local church has a has a mission to make Jesus known. Verse eighteen, flip back, flip back a few. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Realize that that part of what it is to be the church is to be is to be like agents into the world. Think about that. Do you think, like, does Jesus actually need us? Is Jesus sitting around like, oh, I wish, I need somebody. I, I, I would love to just change the world. I'd br- love to bring the lost back to myself. I'd love to have people know me, but I'm totally incapable. Like, I, my hands are tied. Like, if only someone would step up and save me. Do you think Jesus needs that? He is fully capable of doing all the work himself. And yet, like the story of scripture is that that he wants to save us and just have us sit on the sidelines and he continued to do the work. He actually calls us to be partners with him in bringing the world back to himself. And your church, your local church is like a little island of heaven in an, in an ocean of lost people. And what, what God is wanting us to be is partners with him in doing the work of bringing the lost back to himself. He, we are like little, like I said, little islands. We're like little forts out in the wilderness. Um, we're like little embassies in a foreign nation. And the, the idea is we want to bring in more members into the kingdom. We want to bring the lost in. And, and again, we are these partners with God in what he is doing. What an incredible gift that is. This isn't a burden. This isn't a task. Like, what, you want me to talk to these people about Christ? You want me to be an example? Like, oh, no, no, this is an incredible gift. We get to be partners with the God of the universe in what he is doing. And he is, as he says in verse 18, he is sending us out into the world. So remember all of these things. Um, a few things that I want to I want to emphasize. These are more just practical tips and practical reminders as you go home. Some kind of final takeaways. You can write these things down as if you want. A lot of these things come out of just. I, I've been I've been youth pastor in my church for for almost 16 years now, and I have just interacted with hundreds and hundreds of students over the years. And as I've observed them and talked to them and watched them grow up and move on and like. I, I see where they go, whether they continue to walk with the Lord or whether they choose to walk away from the Lord. And I can see over those years, I've, I've observed a lot of reasons why those happen. And a lot of them stem back to their choice of involvement in the church. So a lot of these things come out of just my observations with students. So um, just again, some, some practical things, some reminders. Um, n- number one, remember that your church's primary goal is not to entertain you and make you happy. Something I've heard from students sometimes is like, I don't want to go to that, it's boring. All we do is like open up the Bible and talk about it. We don't, like, when do, like, when do, when do we get to dodgeball? When do we get to like eating something weird and like the crazy contest or something? Listen, there's nothing wrong with dodgeball. I think, I think church should be a fun place. I love that we come to camp and have fun because the message of this world is that you can't have fun without sin. 
You have to sin in order to have fun. And that is not true. That's a lie. And I love that camp is a perfect example of where you can have tons of fun and laugh and, you know, do crazy things and sin doesn't have to be involved. You don't have to get drunk. You don't have to sleep around. You don't have to have fun at somebody else's expense. So I love that we have fun. But the church's primary goal, their number one purpose is not to entertain you and not to make you happy. They're not, they're not a movie theater. They're not a sports you know, club or something like that where it's just like, come sit in the stands and let us entertain you and give us your money. That's not what a church's purpose is all about. So, so if that's at all in your mind, like eliminate that from your mind. Listen, your church's goal, if you are a follower of Christ, your church's goal and purpose and calling from God, like their job description, is to train you and make you a lifelong follower of Jesus so that he is glorified and that the lost will come to you through him. Your church's primary goal, let me say that again, is to train you to be a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ, to train you to go out and to make other disciples of Christ. Your church is a family that you join. Realize that. I am very intentional. When I say someone, when I call someone brother or sister, I mean, I, 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 that's not just like a cool, like nice, encouraging phrase. That is intentional. I, I mean that. If you are a follower of Christ, you are my brother or sister in Christ. There, there are people like at, at my local church that I'm actually way closer to than my own blood family. I don't, not that I don't love my family, but like, I serve with these people. Like I love these people deeply and dearly. They are my family and your local church. That is your family. Realize that. Realize that, realize that another thing is that if if the Lord worked in your heart this weekend and you, you're thinking, I want to go home and make some changes. Like there's things that the Lord's convicted me of, things I kind of, I'm looking at the trajectory of my life and I realize I am not heading a good way. I want to head this direction. That will not happen without your involvement in the local church. I guarantee it. It goes back to that illustration I used yesterday of working out, right? If you have this mindset like, man, I want to just get chiseled, right? but you don't do anything in your life to change your daily habits and disciplines. And you think, I'm just going to, one weekend out of the month, boom, I'm just going to lift like, like a, I'm going to do like a thousand curls. And then next year at the same time, I'm going to do an, another thousand curls. And I can't figure out why my biceps aren't like ripping the sleeves out of my shirt. You don't grow that way, right? Remember what I said yesterday? You don't grow in a week. You grow weekly. Very good. You don't grow in a day. You grow daily. It's these daily patterns and habits where you don't even see real growth, right? You who exercise or do sports, like when you work out, you never actually see the results from one day to the next. But maybe if you, if you take a picture of yourself, right? Or, you know, if you haven't seen somebody in six months, all of a sudden they're like, hey, you're looking good. You're looking kind of fit. Like you don't see the change because it happens so small and so minutely. But realize if you want to give your life to Christ, if you want to become more like Christ, that day in, day out, week in, week out discipline of being a part of the local church is a critical part. And you will, you might not see spiritual growth in your life, you know, in, in, a, in a week or in a month, but I guarantee you it's happening in ways you don't even see. Hebrews 10, probably one of the best passages. I encourage you to write this in your notes. I encourage you to commit this verse to memory. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says this. I think this is one of, the, one of the most clear passages about what it is to be a part of the local church. It says, it says, let us think 
of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Do you hear that? Verse 25, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but let us encourage one another. Do you realize what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying there? He's saying, do not stop meeting together. Let us, another translation says, let us consider how we may spur one another on. Do you remember how I said church isn't about you? Church isn't about entertaining you. Church is about what you can do for others. Church is about your growth. What he's saying is, let us consider how we can spur one another on. In other words, you should go to church with the mindset of who can I reach out to today? Who can I encourage? Who can I bless? Who can I build up? Who is showing up to my church for the first time with that deer in the headlights look like I'm here for the first time and I don't know anybody? Guys, those are the people. If you see those people in your youth group, you should go reach out to those people. Sometimes we wait for our youth leaders to be like, oh, that's kind of their job. It is not. It is your job. You get involved. You reach out to them. You make them feel welcome and encouraged. A few final tips I want to I drive home. Again, the, this just comes from my observation working with students for many, many years. Stay committed to your youth group. What I mean by that is we have a tendency of saying, I want, and I just, this is like the church in America by, in, by and large. Like, I want to go to this church because their Wednesday night program is really fun. And I want to go over here on Sunday night because their, like, their music is really cool. And my friends go to this camp and, you know, and that's a cool camp that I want, that I like. And so I'm going to go with that church to their camp. And I'm going to go to this other church for their like summer camp and all these things. What is that saying? Who is it all about when you make those decisions? You, exactly. It's what is best for me and appeals to me and makes me happiest. What is most convenient for my schedule, that's where I'm going to go to fit me. When is it ever about us? When we talk about night number one, it's not about you. So find a local church. I'm hoping it's the church you're here with and be a part of that church. And whether you think, oh, well, I don't really like the thing they do on Wednesday night. It's, it's not about you. Stick around and make it better. Be a part of the change. Be a part. That's being just a problem spotter. Be a problem solver. Talk to your youth leader about like, hey, is there something I could do to be involved? Is there somewhere where you need service that I could be involved in? And then whatever they say, maybe it's like cleaning up chairs afterwards. Maybe it's taking out trash. Do it. That's the thing. It'll make your youth group better. But join your youth group. Be a part of your youth group. And like be at everything. If there's events, don't think like, nah, that doesn't really interest me. Go to those things. Who knows who's going to be there that, that, will, that you can reach out to. Join everything and invite people. Listen, let me tell you a secret like, that you don't probably realize, but every adult in this room knows. You are, far, you are the most influential person in your youth group. You have far more influence on your friends than any adult in this room. Like, us adults... We're not cool. <laughs> when your friends, your friends don't like show up to hang out with your cool adult leaders. All right. Like, and, and we're perfectly fine with that. We know it. Trust us. This is, I know this doesn't shock you either, but you have far more influence on your friends to bring your friends into youth group and to draw them into and to keep them connected than we do. So realize that you are the most influential person in your youth group and use your influence for the Lord. So again, join everything, invite people. Another one, look to the examples of the older godly people around you. I've already kind of talked about this again, but, but realize that you're small group leaders, you're youth leaders, you're youth pastors. 
These are godly role models. Yes, they're not super cool by world standards, but listen, that's not, that's not what's most important. You will be there too someday, by the way. You'll suddenly look in the mirror, you'll be like, when did I stop being cool? Long before you realized it. But listen, that's not what's the most important. What is most important is that these are godly role models. These are godly men and women who have walked this journey with Christ longer than you have, who know a thing. They, they're not better than you. God doesn't love them more than you, but they're more mature in their faith. That doesn't, that doesn't mean they're better. It's just a reality. They've been walking with Christ for longer. And so look to them as examples. When they speak, listen. Ask, if you need advice, ask them. They are wise. You might not realize it, but they are so wise and so godly. Look up to these people. Stick around them. Ask them questions. Be close to them. Look to them as your primary role models and examples. A, a few other things. Join the main worship service. Don't just see youth group as, the, as like church for youth and you leave. No, no. Join the main worship service and sit front and center. I challenged our youth group to do this several years ago, just one time in one message. And they, this is where the youth are far more influential than, than any adult. I said it one time and a bunch of student leaders said, yeah, let's do that. And they encouraged all their friends around them. And the next Sunday morning in our church, there was like, there was like 50 students sitting front and center in front of our pastor. Normally like those first three rows on in Sunday morning are totally empty, right? Like it was full of students. Again, it wasn't, I, I said at one time as a recommendation and student leaders took the initiative, encouraged their friends, challenged their friends, and then led by example and did it. And it like, it, like shockwaves went through our worship center. All the adults were like, what? Realize you have influence over adults. You can inspire adults in your walk with Christ. So join the main worship service. And I challenge you, sit front and center, Bibles open, notebook open, taking notes. How will that inspire the adults around you? So join the main worship service. And going back to what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, don't neglect meeting together. You know, one of the primary things that steals you away from, from church more often than anything else is sports. Now, sports aren't bad. Sports are great. I love sports. But when sports always trump church attendance, if you can't join church, if it's been like months since you've been in church because you've got this sport and that sport and this club league and that's club league, which one is most important in your life? Is, is it worth, like, maybe I'll get a scholarship someday. Is that worth your spiritual health? Is that worth, like, the trajectory of your life? You're when you're choosing sports every time over church, what you're doing is you're establishing patterns and habits that aren't good. I, I'm ch I would challenge you, sacrifice. Say, you know what, I, I know I love volleyball. I love football. It's great. But you know what I love even more is growing in my faith with Christ. And my brothers and sisters in Christ are more important than, than my potential, maybe someday possible scholarship. So I'm going to quit that sport and I'm going to invest in making my church better. What would that say to your youth group? How would that challenge your youth group? Last thing, you could write these, write these things down. Make the decision that your 18-year-old self will thank you for. Make the decision that your 30-year-old self will thank you for. You might think that seems like an eternity away when you're, for you junior hires when you're 18, but you seniors, did high school go by like that? Like, is it weird that you are in your final months of high school? It went, goes so quick, doesn't it? Listen, like the next decade will as well. 
Look, when you are 30, you want to look back and say, I am so glad that my 14-year-old self chose to commit to this church. Let me tell you another thing. Make a decision that your spouse someday will thank you for, that your children and your grandchildren will thank you for. I'm going to close with a story. It's about my grandpa. My grandpa was, um, my grandpa was in World War II. He was in the Navy and uh, grew up in a pretty, really difficult home, really unloving home, but he, he, was, a, he was a believer and was really committed to, to his walk with Christ in spite, at, at his age, like some of you is 17 year olds, 17 or 18 year olds in the room, any of you? All right, when my grandpa was your age, my, my great grandpa marched him down, this is the middle of World War II, by the way, marched him down to the Navy recruiting station and signed him up, all right? Talk about an unloving home. That's, that's the home my grandpa grew up in, and he never let, him, let, it, never let him, that make him better, bitter. And he was telling me years, years later, I was asking my grandparents how they met, and my grandpa said, well, when I was in the Navy, um, when my ship was in port, I always made a decision and a commitment to, to be in church. And one day he grew up on the East Coast, and I just thought about that. That was just like, that didn't surprise me with my grandpa. Um, but when his ship was on the East Coast, or he was, he was uh, from the East Coast, but his ship was stationed in LA, and he knew somebody from, a, from his church um, who was actually going to the church in, in LA. So he calls up his friend. He says, hey, what's, what's going on at church? So he told him like when the service times were and he showed up to church and he met my grandma there at church. He, my grandma caught his eye and he talked about how you want to know who that pretty redhead was. And so, you know, which my grandma was all embarrassed about. And um, they, they had like a, like a young adult social later that night, actually at Knott's Berry Farm when it was just a restaurant. And so they went there, he went there to that as well, met my grandma there and they struck up a relationship and got married and the rest is history. Well, they told me that story. I'm like, oh, that's such a cool story. And it really wasn't until years after he died that I started thinking about it. And I started to think, you know, sailors, when their ship is in port, don't often go to church, right? My grandpa was one of the only believers on his ship, he would tell me about this. And it would have been very easy when he was 18 years old to just say, you know, I'm just going to go out drinking with all the other people on my ship, or I'm just going to sleep in. I'm going to take a Sunday off. But you know, my grandpa made a commitment that when the doors of a church were open, he was there. Whether it was convenient, whether it was easy, whether it was popular. And do you know that I exist because he made that decision? If he chose to sleep in that morning, he would have never met my grandma and I wouldn't be here talking to you about Jesus Christ. You do not realize the impact of the decisions, the littlest decisions of obedience that you are making. You see these like little decisions like, I, I don't really need to do that. It's just this little disobedience, little obedience here. It's not that important. You don't realize that. You don't know the ripple effects of your life when you say yes to Jesus in the little bitty moments. So guys, do not neglect the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but consider how you may spur one another on towards love and good deeds so that Jesus Christ will be glorified and that the lost will know him. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for your local church. Well, well we are imperfect people. Well, we are full of mistakes and flaws and failures. You in your grace love us and save us and redeem us and make us like you. And somehow in the midst of all of it, you use us. And it is such an amazing gift. And it's such a joy, Lord, to be used by you. We are so grateful. You don't need us, and yet you choose us. And we love you, Lord. We're so grateful for it. And we pray. I pray for these students as, as they go home, that they would live lives of obedience that please you, that out of, not out of obligation, but out of great desire, out of love for you. We love you, Lord, and give you all the glory and pray it in your name. Amen.